In the front of your bulletin is uh, our scripture reading for the day. And let's read this all together. And let's make sure that the people coming off the gondola can hear us. <laughs> okay, ready? Romans 12, 9 through 21. Let love be without hypocrisy. Abhor what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence, fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hope, persevering in tribulation, devoted to prayer, contributing to the needs of the saints, practicing hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse. Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. Be of the same mind toward one another. Do not be haughty in mind, but associate with the lowly. Do not be wise in your own estimation. Never pay back evil for evil to anyone. Respect what is right in the sight of all men. If possible, so far as it depends on you, be at peace with all men. Never take your own revenge, beloved, but leave room for the wrath of God. For it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. But if your enemy is hungry, feed him. And if he is thirsty, give him a drink. For in doing so, you will reap the burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. The classic English teacher. Mrs. Soroyce. My uncle's here. Did you have Mrs. Soroyce? Sure did. Uh, and Mrs. Soroyce was classic English teacher. You'd see her in public and go, you're an English teacher. She, you know, she had that hair that she'd wear up like this, big, big hair, right? right? And she had those long flowing skirts that would go all the way down the ground. And then she had those, those glasses that were only like this big, but they had those metal, you know, those gold hoops that held on. You know what I'm talking about? And she would slide her glasses down the tip of her nose when, I, when she would turn her, my paper back to me and it would see this has all this red on it. It would look like that. And she'd go, would you like to try this again, Mr. Corey? Yes, Mrs. Soroyce, I'd like to try it again. And I'd go home. Well, Mrs. Soroyce would be pretty proud of me today. Today, my sermon is going to be all about what's called com- I had to write this down. complex syntax. Whoa. Complex syntax. And what that means is today I have the scripture that you read done from the NASB or the ASB, the American uh, Standard Version. The American Standard Version was written in 1901. In 1901, the New York Times read at a high school reading level. If you were to pick up the, the New York Times now... It reads at a third grade reading level. We do not have complex syntax anymore in our culture. <laughs> and now being able to write with your thumb like this, I think it probably really killed syntax. But what is syntax and what is complex syntax? What you notice today is that I did not use the NIV. I did not use the NLT. I don't think anything's wrong with those or I did not use the message. And here's why. With the NASB, you had in your scripture today on front of your bulletin, 
seven semicolons, 19 commas, and 13 periods. If I would have the same section of scripture in the message, I don't think you'd have any semicolons. I think it was like 10 commas and like 12 periods. All right? So here's the thing. The semicolon, the period, and the comma all have jobs. And if I was to give a title to this sermon today, I was talking to a local English teacher yesterday. This is how I got this. Her name's Heather Krill. She's a sweetie, and she's an English teacher. I can't take credit of any of the stuff I'm doing right now. She helped me with it all. We would title, Heather and I would title this sermon, The Power of the Pause. Because it is the semicolon, it is the comma, and it is the period that have different pauses while reading. Okay? The period represents a complete thought. The comma represents a group of thoughts. And the semicolon represents either contrasting thoughts or thoughts that are related but are so important that they need to stand alone. Paul gives us a list here from, from verses 9 to 21 of about 22 I'll call them virtues or values of the spirit-filled Christian life. This is a result of verse 1 in chapter 12 that says, I beseech you therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, that you present yourself a living sacrifice. This is the list of what it means to be a living sacrifice. A living sacrifice. Well, let me give you some backstory because I showed hands. How many of you were here, were not here last week? You were not in this church service last week, okay? So I've got to do a little bit of catching up, okay? That's all right. We are in the book of Romans. I didn't want to preach in the book of Romans. I'm not a highly intellectual guy. I am a ski bum missionary. I bum, and I ski, and I tell people about Jesus on chairlifts. So when it came to the book of Romans, I was like, I don't know, that's above my pay grade. But the Holy Spirit says, no, this is foundational. And I found that the book of Romans can be summed up in the thesis sentence. Another great English definition. Mr. Royce, there you go. And the thesis sentence can be found in the first chapter of Romans, and Paul says this, For I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power, the power, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead. For I am not ashamed of the gospel. Romans is the gospel, and gospel simply means this, good news. And if news is to be good, it has to have a contrasting bad news. If there is to be good news, there must be bad news. Without bad news, there is no good news. It's just news. Right? And here's the deal. It's what Romans says. This is the bad news. That because our decision, my decision, your decision, and because the original decision by the first man and woman, we have been separated from a perfect God. That's a hard one for us good Americans to swallow. 
But if any one of you have had children, you know what I'm talking about. We have been separated by our selfishness. That's the bad news. The other bad news is that in Christ can be no sin. In God can be no sin. And we are sin. And so our sin separates us from a relationship with God. That is not a warm and fuzzy. Now you know why I didn't want to preach in the book of Romans? (laughs) I didn't want to tell you and me that we're all sinners. And apart from Christ, there is zero hope. Because Paul says that you and I are powerless to save ourselves. See, third world countries get that. Third world countries, they, they understand powerless to save themselves. We don't get that in America. You chose to be here this morning. You rode in a gondola to get to church. You chose to put your car in drive. You had the resources to have the gas. I don't mean to be rude, but it doesn't look like many of you missed a meal this morning. Neither did I. So we have the power to feed ourselves, and we have the power... That's not very nice of you to look at your dad like that. Gotcha. And we have the power to put a roof over our head. And that's what happens to us in America. We're in great danger of believing we can save ourselves. That's a dangerous position. Very dangerous. Why do you think Jesus says it is difficult for a rich man to get into heaven? He wasn't just making that up, folks. That's the bad news. But there's the good news. And the good news is this. That while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us. It says, He that knew no sin became sin for me, for you. The book of Isaiah says it like this, All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. And the Lord has placed the iniquities on him of us all. Back to Bible school. I had a Bible professor that actually taught my father and then taught me as well. And he went and looked at that verse in Isaiah and he said, here's the deal. You want to know the plan of salvation? Turn to Isaiah 53. And he says on that verse that I just quoted, you go in on the all and you come out on the all and you'll be all set. All we like sheep have gone astray. Everyone has turned to his own way. And the Lord has laid the iniquity on him of us all. You go in on the all, and you come out on the all, and you'll be all set. Pretty amazing, right? So Paul wrote this book of Romans for us to understand that we're lost, we have no hope of saving ourselves, and that the blood of Jesus Christ willingly shed on the cross, he who was not designed to taste death, tasted death for us, rose again on the third day, and now sits at the right hand of the throne of the Father and is petitioning for me and you, which is absolutely incredible. And so we have salvation for those that would put their faith and hope and love in Christ Jesus. Paul explains all that in Romans 1, 2, 3, 4, 5. Now you don't need to go read it. You know, you should still read it. Martin Luther said this, if there was one book to be left with in when you're on a deserted island, Martin Luther said it was the book of Romans. It was the book of Romans. So, here we go, Mr. Royce. 
I'm going to try to break down this in the English language. Complex syntax. Here we go. Turn to your front of your bulletins. It starts off with this. Let love be without hypocrisy. This is the thesis sentence of what is in front of you. What follows this opening sentence is not possible without this first sentence. And to understand that, we must look at root words. There is the word love in here. And in the English language, love means a lot of things, right? You can love pizza, and you can love your mom. How many love pizza? How many love their mom? Now, what if you told your mom, I love you like I love pizza? She might say, I'm not making you any pizza. You're like, ah! I meant to say I love it when you make me pizza. You know? So we just have this one word. This was written in Greek. There isn't one word for love in Greek. There's many words. This word happens to be one called agape. And agape love is this. Agape love is action-based, generous, genuine, unconditional, Jesus-style love. Meaning this. Your mother's incredible, I'm sure. Your father's probably incredible, too. Maybe you had an incredible grandmother, or a neighbor, or an aunt, or a t-shirt, a t-shirt, a teacher. Maybe you had an incredible t-shirt, too. I I did. I still actually have it. My mother-in-law bought it for me the week I got married, and it's a tie-dye Red Sox t-shirt. And who has seen me wear my tie-dye Red Sox t-shirt? Because what... He just... They're making fun of me. Because when I wear it, there's so many holes in the back that I get this spotted sunburn. It's awesome. Love that t-shirt. Where was I going? That was not in my notes. Right? Your spouse. Your mother. You treat your children. This is not agape love. And we fool ourselves into thinking that. The only one capable of agape love is the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So if you read down through this list following this first sentence like I do, I get overwhelmed and I say, no way can I do what this thing is asking me to do. Well, you got to start back at the beginning. Paul is not asking you to do this on your own strength. He's not asking you to muster up the will to do this. He is saying that you must start with agape love. And there is only one way to have agape love. And that's for you and to me to say, Lord, I cannot do this. I am incapable. I do not have the power or the ability to love like this. Would you fill me with your Holy Spirit? And would you be the agape love in me so that this list of virtues can come forth? For no amount of mustered up love can accomplish this list. What I love about it is this. Agape love is action-based. So it says, let love be without hypocrisy. You know what hypocrisy is, right? It's words without action. So this sentence literally reads, reads like this. Let, the sunny, let a sunny day be without clouds. That's kind of redundant. 
right? That's what this this opening sentence says. Let action-based love be without words, without action. See what see what's going there? What's cool about Paul is he was Hebrew, and what you learn about the Hebrews is that when they want to get their point across, they repeat themselves. Sounds like my mother. When she wants to get a point across, she repeats herself, and she repeats herself with a middle name. That or she calls you all of her brothers and sisters' names, your sister's name, the dog's name, next door neighbor's name. You're like, I'm Marcus. Whoever you are, clean your room. Agape love. You know why you and I, you can tell why you and I don't have agape love? For the true test of agape love is how you love your enemies. And I'm sorry, New York State. I don't know how to love a Yankee fan. Just don't know how to do it. And even worse, a Giants fan. 07 is still real in my mind. Oh, David Tyree on the helmet. What is that? Couldn't do it again if he tried. All of you non-sports people are like, what is he talking about? The true test of agape love is how you love your enemies. I quoted early, while we were sinners, he who knew no sin took on sin for you and I. God loved us when we were in a state of being his enemy. That's agape love. That's agape love. Let love be without hypocrisy. So, we've broken down the thesis sentence, and we had our first vocabulary word, hypocrisy. Hypocrisy is claim that doesn't match action. Next sentence. Abhor what is evil, semicolon, cling to what is good. See, you didn't put a comma there, because both of those should be able to stand alone, but yet they're connected. And this is how they're connected. Abhor what is evil. Abhor, another vocab word. Cling to what is good. Abhor actually means disgust. I said this last week. This is what you have as a child for lima beans. Or spinach. Or spinach and lima beans. Right? Alright, you boys from England. It's okay. You're in church. What do you hate that your mom makes you eat? What do you just go, ugh, mom makes me eat this. What happens in England? What's over there? Shrimp on the bobby. Oh, no, that's, 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 that's Australia. Sorry. Sorry about that. I'm sure that's happened to you before. Ooh, you were complaining about eating something yesterday. Rice. Huh? Rice. Oh, rice. Just plain white rice. And if it moves, it kind of looks like something that, yeah. Right over his head, I like it. That's right. Rice, I'm with you, dude. Plain white rice is just plain, right? You abhor rice. How many, when they were a kid, abhor spinach? You just, ugh. Huh? Still don't like it, right? Mushrooms, how many just hate mushrooms? Yeah, a couple of you hate mushrooms. What else? Peas, you just hate peas, huh? Especially the mushy ones that mom overdoes. Yeah, okay, all right. Any more of that? I hated food groups. Asparagus? 
Dude, grill. Grill with lemon. Oh, oh yeah. Olive oil. <laughs> Poor girl. She's like, what? Seesaw. <laughs> yeah, I can hear. I, when I was a kid, I didn't like spinach either. I mean, asparagus either. What do you guys, what, what about in the Strobel family? What do these boys hate? When you make them eat, Dane, that they hate. Oh, mom's not here. Shh. Okay, here's the thing. Abhor actually means to reject. So if you were that kid that your mom said, plug your nose and put it down. And you just took that mushroom, you just took that, you know, pea soup. Oh, right? I, when I was trying, like, grits down in the south. I'm sorry, guys. The first time I tried grits with nothing in it. You put maple syrup in it, and there you go. But you just, like, plug the nose, put it down. I'll tell you one time. This is what happens when you travel. When you travel, you have to eat what is served to you. And I love staying in host homes. I hate staying in hotels. I want to stay in a host home, and I want to eat what they're eating. Anyone been in the Philippines? But I was at the Philippines in Manila one time. And you know what was served to me? Baloot. Exactly right. Baloot is a baby duck right before it's born. And they cook it in the egg, and then you eat the whole thing. Yes, I could tell what the bill was. I could tell where the feet were. And it was a little furry. I began to abhor. Do you know what abhor means? To reject. And what did I do as I was trying to be very polite, put it down? Huh. Huh. As soon as I made out the bill in my mouth, huh. Huh. that's a bore. And it says, a bore, what's evil? Reject it. Make it be that gut, like, huh. Huh. and then cling. Cling to what is good. Grab to what is good. And that's our first semicolon. Next one. And a bore was our vocab word. There'll be a spelling test later. Be devoted to another and brotherly love. Where are you, sir? My good friend up here, Drew, so thankful he's on our team. But he's from the city of brotherly love, and his team won this last year. You, you be quiet down there. I don't want to hear any amens. Philadelphia. This is cool. So it says, be devoted to one another in brotherly love. What was the first Greek word for the first love that we had? Agape. And who is the only keeper of agape love? God the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. This is phileo. Phileo is where do we get the, where does the word Philadelphia come from? The city of brotherly love. Although if you go down there, I don't really know if they've really got that figured out yet. But um, I love this the SNL skit before the Super Bowl where the guy says, Listen, Philly, whether you win or lose, do you really have to flip a car and burn it? Because we knew whether they won or they lost, a car was being flipped and burnt in the streets of Philadelphia! But the city of brotherly love brought home the Vince Lombardi trophy. And it was cool because... Drew had a really good point about a week later. I don't care if you're a football fan or not. If you were from or living in Philly, what was on your lips the following week, two weeks, even a month later? The birds. The eagles. You know what that is, folks? That's revival. There was a revival in the city of brotherly love, and it had to do with the game of football. 
And it was on everyone's lips. The same happens when we as Christians begin to repent, when the church, the bride, the, the bride repents, the body of Christ repents and says, we are wicked. We come before you and we say we're sorry. We will love God and we will love our neighbor as ourself. And when the Holy Spirit begins to enter the body of Christ, it is always on our lips. So this is Phileo, Philadelphia, the city of brotherly love. So that's another vocab word, phileo, brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor. Honor, that's our next. Honor, that's our next. Honor is letting somebody else lead. I have a real hard time with that one. I definitely disrespect people because I come in and I take over. I don't mean to, but it's not a good trait. Respect is letting someone else lead. It says, give preference to one another in honor. Letting someone else drive. And then don't be that backseat driver like your mother-in-law. So honor, that's our next vocab word, and it actually means respect. Letting someone lead or supporting someone else's decision. Not lagging behind in diligence. Diligence. That's our next vocab word. Careful effort. That's the definition of diligence. And you know what came to mind when I thought of diligence or careful effort? My mother's mother, Grammy Bryant, when she quilts. Anyone have a grandmother who quilts or a grandmother who cross-stitches or a grandmother who knits? Yeah. That is diligence. Have you ever seen that? Grammy, I visited you two weeks ago and you were in the same position doing the same thing. That is diligence. One of my favorite stories was we were on a family vacation to go see a relative graduate from the Air Force Academy out in Colorado. And we were bringing both grandmothers, my mom's mom and my dad's mom. Well, my mom's mom knits. She has crochet needles. My dad's mom did not knit, did not have crochet needles. Now, this is after 9-11, folks. Now, what happened? My mom's mom took her crochet needles that she was in the you know car or the lobby knitting with and was like, oh, I don't have anywhere to put them. So without telling my other grandmother, she put them in her bag. And then came time for the security check. And my dad's mother, Grammy Corey, goes, it goes beep, beep. And, she's, and the guy says, oh, I am sorry, ma'am. You cannot bring your crocheting uh, needles on the plane. Well, I don't crochet, sir. Uh, ma'am, you have crocheting needles in your bag. No, I don't. I've never crocheted. I don't have time for that. Ma'am, there, I'm telling you, I don't crochet, sir. Okay, ma'am, but I'm there, sir, ma'am, and can I, can I go through your pocketbook? You can go through my pocketbook, but you won't find any crochet needles in there. Okay, ma'am, okay. What are these? Oh, what are those? Those aren't mine. In the security line over there. Oh, Vera, Vera, those are my crocheting needles. Levina, why'd you put them in my bag? And it was like, am I on a movie or what? This is like right out, this is a scene out of a movie. But diligence, 
Diligence is careful attention. And it says this, don't lag behind in diligence. Meaning this, don't let life happen to you. Don't just say, nah, if Christianity works out, if faithfulness works out, if devotion to God works out, well then great. But if it don't, nah, I'm not going to really go out of my way to really be a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. This says be intentional. And you know what, men? We don't do well at being intentional. We don't. I think we're just exhausted, or we're frustrated, or we think it's not going to work out, so we just kind of go, meh. We survive. We don't thrive. We just kind of survive. Work, not work. Home, not home. Game, not game. Hmm, dilly-dilly. Right? We have a tendency to do that. Bible students, you guys can Google dilly-dilly to figure out what it means later. Be intentional, men. Be intentional. Fervent in spirit. Fervent in spirit. What I love about this is Paul is reminding us it's not about you and me. We can't muster up this intentionality. We can't muster up this brotherly love. We can't muster up honoring somebody that don't respect. Again, he reminds us, first, it's agape love. Not ours, but God's. Two, two, it is God's spirit. This is God's spirit, not ours. And fervent, is another vocab word, means passionate intensity. My daughter Abishai that was playing ukulele down here plays soccer. And her face gets beat red when she plays soccer. It is passionate intensity. This word for spirit is the same word for spirit Jesus used in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3. And he says, blessed are the poor in spirit. You know what that means? It means, blessed are those who understand their position. The position is that you and I do not naturally possess the Spirit of God. And that we are beggars for it. It's annoying when your kids beg, isn't it? But what happens if your kids beg for something good? Mom, I want a spinach kale smoothie. Please give me a spinach kale smoothie. Has anyone ever said that in the history of Everness? But this is what this actually means when Jesus said, Blessed are the poor in spirit. He says, Blessed are those who beg for my spirit. Now listen, I've only made it through. I haven't even gone, we haven't even completed two thoughts here. This is literally a thought and a half. And these are all my notes. But we're just going to have to end right there. There's all so much more, but I guess you'll have to either tune in or come back later. Because what time is it already? 2.30? Oh, 5 past 12. Well, that's not too bad, right? I mean, that's a good Baptist church service. Not quite an Assembly of God church service. Or a church service in Mexico. We'd still be here until 3. They're way more Christian than us in the Latin culture. Um, we got stuff to do. We're Christian Americans. Our to-do list started a couple hours ago. Like Drew said earlier, God's been working on our staff. Jesus, before he ascended into heaven in Matthew chapter 28, he did not say, go and do my discipleship. No. He said, go and be 
my disciple. Be, not go, not do. Be. I guess, Drew, we're just going to cap it there. We're not even done. Like I said, periods are complete thoughts, so let love be without hypocrisy. Thought number one, abhor what is evil, cling to what is good. Contrasting there with the semicolon, end the first thought with the period. I was getting in my third thought with all these commas. It's got one, two, three semicolons in this next thought, and one, two, three, four, five commas in this next thought. Good thing we weren't in the message. We'd be done sermon about 15 minutes ago. This is pretty, pretty stinking cool. God's Word is live. It is active. And if you get in there and stop poking around and you ask the Holy Spirit to help you out, these, these words will jump right off the page. It's cool. When Jesus prayed in the Garden of Gethsemane, He prayed for you and He prayed for me. When the Holy Spirit spoke these words to the Apostle Paul, He knew you and He knew me. According to Paul in, first, in the first chapter of Ephesians, he knew you, he knew me, before he laid the foundations of those mountains over there. It's pretty cool. See the mountains over there? I bet I could throw a pigskin over them mountains. Napoleon Dynamite, anybody? All of the, all of the Bible students laughed. <laughs> Jesus, we love you. And I'm thankful, God, that you can use a goof like me to talk about truths that are way above my head. You made those mountains, you made the valley, you made us and you didn't make mistakes. You love us just as we are, and God, if we have any hope at all, we must make room for agape love, love that does not belong to me and you, love that is solely owned by the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And agape love enters your life when you confess with your mouth and you believe in your heart. You confess that Jesus is Lord and you believe in your heart that He is risen from the dead. And you shall be saved. And a love that you don't possess, and a love that I don't possess, and a love that we can't work for, a love that we can't muster up, comes into our lives with the power of the Holy Spirit. And only when that happens do we have any chance of living a life filled with the Spirit. Hey, after this song, we invite you all to lunch down below. I hope you can come hang out with us. That's when we get to know you. Food is the greatest. I love it. Amen. Bible students are clapping their hands. <laughs>